I felt like it was a movie of the moment. These people had actually, who had achieved this, had actually handed us an object lesson in the viability of hope. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a rescue team attempts a seemingly impossible task in director Ron Howard's 13 Lives. The film follows the miraculous story of the 2018 Tom Luang Nang Non Rescue, in which an international team of divers was assembled to save a group of 12 young boys and their soccer coach after they became trapped in a system of flooded caves in Thailand. In addition to 13 Lives, Mr. Howard's many directorial credits include feature films Cinderella Man and In the Heart of the Sea, documentary features Pavarotti and The Beatles' Eight Days a Week, The Touring Years, and the pilot episode of Genius Einstein. He is a two-time winner of the DGA's Feature Film Award for 1995's Apollo 13 and 2001's A Beautiful Mind and received nominations for 1985's Cocoon and 2008's Frost Nixon. Following a recent screening of the film, Mr. Howard spoke with director Akiva Goldsman about filming 13 Lives. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. You know, uh, this one is quite something. I, I mean, it, I was entirely undone by this experience of, you know, and I'm not even claustrophobic. My wife just had to walk out of the room. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess I, I'd sort of start as one does. And I, I have a bunch of questions on my phone because like writing pages for you, I do my homework. I know to come in prepared because <laughs> you don't want to come in unprepared. Um, what, what drew you to this material at first? Was it a script? Was it the true story? It, well, it, a combination, but it was it, it it was it was a script by William Nicholson, a script that I came to appreciate more and more, quite frankly, as we went deeper into the process. Even as scenes changed, even as 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 you know, new ideas were added, some which he worked on, some which we just would do with the actors, especially the Thai cast. There was a lot of invention and development there, but he had done such a great job of synthesizing the events, focusing them into a movie narrative that actually held up. And he was authentic. He understood the degree of, of sort of uh, intensity uh, and, and impact the various near misses had along with the, you know, the, the, the other major turning points. The ones that those of us who sort of followed the story, you know, more or less knew I didn't know about the sedatives at, at all. I, I, other people did know about that. I didn't. But, um, you know, I read and I felt like it's, there was an urgency there. Well, there was an urgency because it was a good script and somebody else would do it if I didn't. Uh, but, it, no, it's not something that I developed as I normally like to do. But it, I felt like it was a movie of the moment. I felt like, I just felt like the thematics of it, that these people had actually, who had achieved this, this success had actually handed us an object lesson in sort of the viability of hope 
that work that setting aside the 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 you know the politics and the cultural clashes and whatnot you know remarkable things indeed could happen but i was also attracted to what i thought was the 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 movie potential i thought these are really actable scenes and i bet there are more nuggets and there were uh, these 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 twists and turns that i didn't know about they're cinematic they're playable um, I already knew that, 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 uh, Jimmy and Chai were making a documentary. In fact, one of the, one of our producers produced that documentary as well. I didn't, I knew, I also knew I wouldn't have the, be, you know, get to see it, which I didn't until deep into post-production. There were other documentaries. I knew there'd be other versions, but I felt like a, a you know, an, a, a, a scripted movie version of this story could really offer people something accessibility, but also connection relatability on the most human level, the thing that actors give you and the thing that cinema can, can really, uh, uh, give you could just expedite that connection. And, and so, um, you know, I, I, I leapt at the opportunity. I want to come back to the extraordinary circumstance, but first I'm going to go to the, the filmmaking because something that you can do here uniquely that we can't find in a, a documentary treatment uh, of the narrative is get into those caves mm -hmm. in a real way. So just technically, how did you do that? And emotionally, what was that like? And, you know, I've heard stories about how you guys did Apollo and right. uh, dropping the plane, uh, you called the, it the vomit the comet. The vomit comet uh, with the parabolas and uh, the 23 uh, seconds of weightlessness per parabola. So was there some version of going down into those caves for you or, or for the actors? Right. How did that work? Um, well... Uh, there was no going into the actual caves, um, but what there there was was knowing that we were going to have to build them and shoot them in a way that was, you know, felt utterly authentic. And it doesn't always work out that way. It's tricky. It's tricky to light them. It's tricky to shoot. I've done a lot of underwater work, and I was, uh, a, you know, a, a, a little, I underestimated a little bit the degree of, of difficulty. Um, as we began to parse out the scenes, what Molly Hughes, the production designer, did with me and, um, and sometimes without me is get together with the actual divers. So, we, so Rick Stanton was a technical advisor on the movie. So was Jason Mallinson. John Valanthan and Chris Jewell all made themselves available to us. And they would go over the specs of the cave with Molly and identify where and why a particular area was especially dangerous. And I said, that's what we're building. And, uh, you know, every cave unit that she would build, which would be, you know, 60 to 90 feet long, um, of the tunnels, she also had to build three caverns, but we had four different, um, uh, tunnel systems and, you know, they were built to allow us to shoot right to left, uh, you know, for one sort of event left to right for another, uh, and so that we could get three or four sort of crisis points in each system. Some had the stalactites, some were just super tight, some were sort of down and up. So they had different characteristics. Um, but I thought we were going to be able to pull pieces of the set out more, you know, like you just pull a wall. And underwater with those caves, it was impractical because every time we would do that it it underwater it would just fall apart and you'd, you'd have a hard time putting it back in so clearly 
it became a, that the divers were going to have to swim through these real caves. And we were going to have to f mostly just lead them and follow them. Occasionally, I, I, we designed certain camera portals so a camera could get in on the side and do a panning shot. But I had to parse all, I had to plan all those out so that, you know, we would have, we'd have camera positions. And, uh, and, you know, here's what happened. Um, Rick and Jason began coaching and, you know, the actors thinking that the actors would have to do, you know, a fair amount of underwater work, uh, you know, and, and mostly the close shots, but a fair amount of underwater work. And cave diving is so specific. The movement is so particular and so different than open ocean diving that um, before long, there was a sort of a good news and good news uh, kind of a conversation, which was the actors were feeling really comfortable. And Charlie... Crowell, our second unit director, who's also the stunt coordinator, corroborated that. Everybody felt like the actors were really getting the hang of it, really learning. Vigo came to me and said, I think I'm speaking for everyone here, but this is so specific and so much of my character actually plays out underwater that I want to do it all. I don't trust a stunt person to get this right, and I want it to be right. And I, I sort of... Um, hoping that would go away, kind of <laughs> say, oh, well, that's a, oh, man, I appreciate that. Well, it's great. We're going to get more, we'll get as many shots of you as we can. But, but they were scheduled tightly. This was a pretty tight schedule, tightest schedule I've ever had for something this ambitious. Then the second time he asked me, I said, well, look, Vigo, the problem is, A, we have, we have good doubles and, you know, and they're preparing as well. But, but B, you know, they're scheduled to shoot on days when you're shooting dialogue and the units are running simultaneously. And, you know, I don't know how feasible this is. I will try. And he said, he's a director also. He said, uh, why don't you stagger the units <laughs> and I won't take any days off. I'll go, I'll go. And, and, and it's an ensemble movie. I don't shoot every day. I'll go. And you wrap me at one o'clock. I'll go. And I can't speak for all the other guys on that count, but I will. And he meant it. And he did it. And we accommodated it to that extent. And all the other actors fell into line. You know, Colin immediately. Everybody. And my God, it made a world of difference. And uh, Charlie Crowell was very sympathetic to that, good at working with actors in, in stunt situations. And they did it all, I swear to you. And the other little thing that they got, they became so adept that Simon Christides, who's a world-class uh, underwater photographer, um, he was working with them closely and shooting them and leading them into these tight spaces or panning them by. We had two cameras under there, you know, most of the time, following them, doing all that stuff, doing their POVs. And at a certain point, he just felt like they were doing so well that he said, why don't you just try, I'm going to give you a mini. And he gave him a mini cam and they began to do a selfie pass where they would literally swim and shoot themselves all the way through. Or they would like, you know, Colin, who turned out to be a really good operator, uh, <laughs> was following uh, Vigo through a lot of these tight spaces. And a lot of those, most of those clean POVs and things like that are just the route they were swimming. And they, they were able to, uh, to really do it. You know, here's the thing about this movie. No bitching. It's not that it wasn't allowed. It's that it was utterly inappropriate. And people did not complain. Cold, wet, you know, movie rain is still rain. Everybody's still soaked. The water is still water, you know, all of it. And, you know, people would 
you know, of course get uncomfortable or, or think I was doing too much coverage or whatever they might want to be about. But they, they would never say it because they'd look over and they'd see the real Rick Stanton or the real Jason Mallinson or they'd think about the kids and what the kids really did and with the, with the you know, the thousands of, of volunteers, you know, what they endured and they just wanted to tell the story. They, everybody did. And it, honestly, that kind of spirit is what really prevailed. You know, the circumstance of the movie is obviously extraordinary, but it's been said about you that that's sort of a through line of your work, that it is people facing extraordinary complications, um, that uh, the, in, the individual is sort of tested by something that it's not clear they will survive, mm -hmm. and that generates a a better version of them. Is, mm -hmm. is that true, do you think? And if so, where does that come from? Well, you know, I think, I think it, it exists in a lot of the films, to be sure, and, and, and a lot of other people's films, because, you know, challenges breed um, conflict. But that's exactly what I thought parenthood was. It was a comedy, but I thought it was a stress test for 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 all of them as it related to being a parent now there were jokes and and it was you know like kind of a, a lighthearted tone at times although if you watch the movie also dark in places by today's comedy standards for sure and uh so i definitely look for that and um and i think it's my curiosity and the other thing is is that i've you know i've grown up in an unusual way and lived a very unusual life and i think there's a kind of a curiosity or a yearning to understand and um, apply what I what I do to sort of better get it, to better understand, you know, what it does look like. What does it mean? I'm not an adventuresome person. You know this about me. I don't go, I don't go on action vacations. I you know I I don't I, I'm not I've done a lot of stuff, but it's always related to movies, <laughs> weight weightlessness or scuba diving or in you know flying inverted in airplanes and and uh, aerobatic stuff and things like that. But so for me, I do sort of lose myself in the story and, um, and, and learn a lot about it. And so I think I'm attracted to those, uh, that kind of situation where people are out of their, really out of their comfort zone. Um, this one was, there was another factor that I really liked about it. Was it, it wasn't the initial sort of idea that called to me. But this is so much about volunteerism, whereas a thing like Apollo 13 or even a melodramatic, you know, version of firefighting like Backdraft, there was still a lot of, we tried to be very realistic about the spirit of, of the, you know, people doing that work and, and honoring that. But they're, those are people who are paid to take those risks. That's what they do. And, and so the movie might, the story might give them extreme challenges, but, it, but it's, them ri it's them rising to the... And, and maybe even moving beyond their sort of capacity based on a trained skill and a talent. You know, yes, the divers were experts, but those divers did not have to be there. Nothing, nothing other than the call compelled them to be there. You know, those people up on that mountain, they didn't have to be there. Those farmers didn't have to give up their field. I know that. Nobody was twisting their arm. There was no government official behind the scenes, you know, telling them what they ought to do. You know, all of these decisions were, were bona fide, you know, sort of voluntary acts of courage and heroism. 
and sacrifice. I thought that was unique also and sort of spoke to that larger, you know, sort of reason to, to really do the movie and do it, do it soon while, while it was still fresh in people's minds, even though I knew it was problematic because, you know, people would know many of the details. So to widen the frame a little bit, we uh, were sitting in a theater talking about a movie that uh, folks just saw in a theater and it has a really beautifully designed immersive effects. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also equally sort of useful in the center of a family in front of their television mm-hmm. because it's uplifting and heartwarming. And um, so how do you feel about this now very current conversation uh, of uh, streaming versus right. theatrical? Well, as it relates to this movie, of course it was, you know, it was, it was made by MGM. The idea was a theatrical release. Uh, that was, that was sort of, part of the part of the commitment in the back of my mind as COVID unfolded because you know there it was greenlit before COVID and then COVID you know sort of delayed us I, I worried it would cancel us but it didn't and we wound up making it with with some you know real complications and compromises fortunately I don't think they show but all the while I thought I wonder if this will go to streaming because who knew it you know, what theatrical movies were, 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 it was already a bit of a, of a, of a challenge because it's, you know, it's a grown up movie. It's, uh, and it's, uh, our, you know, that question continues, are people getting in there? Well, what are people getting in their cars to go see? I was, you know, the MGM execs, Mike DeLuca and Pam Abdi, um, you know, completely believed in it as a movie. I was excited about that. Mostly I wanted to tell the story and make it. And as COVID came in and I thought, well, there's a, you know, even the Tom Hanks movie, Grey. Greyhound. 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 Sorry, Tom. Uh, you know, that had gone, that had gone to streaming. So I wasn't sure. Now, once, once uh, Amazon completed their acquisition, you know, I still didn't know what was going to happen. There were no, and, uh, and, and, and I had no, um, you know, legal position uh, you know, in, in the decision at all. But at the time that they had to really decide, to be honest, COVID was still a big question mark. And, who, you know, who would go to theaters and why was still a big question mark. So I must say, I wasn't surprised. Uh, was it the thing I dreamed of when I said yes to the movie? No. Um, but as we speak, you know, as of last night or yesterday afternoon or something, to around 200 countries, it's playing and it's playing to a lot of people and it's getting a lot of attention. Uh, and I'm, uh, and I'm really grateful for that. All that said, and now I'm putting on my, more my imagine hat, my imagine entertainment hat, my producer hat in all the conversations, you know, everybody believes that movies are not going away. Now, again, audiences are going to have to tell us what they will come out for. And that's going to guide executives, whether us directors, you know, like the decisions made or not. But I believe the movie experience is going to sustain itself on a much broader level and to a much larger degree than, than we fear it might. Then I think it, I think it's going to matter. And I think, um, how many theaters, how long 
concurrent with the release on, on, on streamers. But I think even streamers are beginning to understand that the theatrical experience signals something to their subscribers. It, it, it sort of defines it as premium in, in many, you know, in the, in the way that a hardcover publication defines, you know, certain, certain titles. So, um, you know, I'm uh, overall more optimistic about the theatrical experience uh, than I was maybe a year ago. And you brought up a, a thing which I, w- I did want to ask you, which is not related to the movie, but related to your career, which is you are in fact a fully, you are an Academy Award winning producer as well as an Academy Award winning director. You are for real a producer and a producer director is an interesting hybrid. Have you found that producing has assisted your directing or not and has directing assisted your producing or not? Yeah, well, uh, the answer is yes to both without a doubt. Um, but I think everything assists directing. Um, I'm working on the documentaries as I have been in the last six or seven years, but both as a director and a producer has, as I think influenced my work in positive ways. Certainly it applied to this movie tonally, um, in terms of shooting and editorial styles, um, and also just sort of the simple, you know, aesthetic sense of, of what feels real, you know, uh, and I've, I have more evidence as to sort of what events going on in the real world looks like and more intimate understanding of what it looks like on, you know, on screen. So that's good. Um, you know, uh, as a producer, I'm, I'm a little limited because I'm not, when I'm really just only producing, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm unwilling to be a bastard (laughs) and producers need to be tough. Sometimes they need to really have the tough conversations. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever really taken on that role. I I can have creative conversations. I can, I can, I'll give notes, but you know, mostly I want to just be supportive, which sometimes doesn't serve the project. Uh, and, um, um, I think, uh, you are a producer, director, writer, And I've worked with you, you know, when you're producing and you're a better producer because you are willing to, to tackle, uh, uh, you know, uh, take on an argument. It's just fear, my friend. (laughs) But, but I, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated by the way, the way our business is really evolving. It's really changing and, and sensibilities in the audience are changing. Here's some, something interesting that relates to this. I never had any question in my mind, but that. Whenever the Thais should be speaking Thai, they're speaking Thai. And there was, there was never really an, any argument about that. And I had no idea what the ratio would be. I think it's between 30 and 40% Thai. Uh, I encouraged the Thai. We developed the Thai characters. One of the real thrills for me was the moment when I could sort of see that the Thai actors recognized that they, they wouldn't be insulting me if they criticized you know, the scene or had a, had a comment or a note or even a, a direction of mind that was in, you know, inconsistent with their culture or what they thought their character sensibility would be. And you could just see it all kind of take off from there. Um, that, that was, um, you know, that was, that was very exciting. But when we went to do our preview screening in, in sort of a heartland Americana on my way to the preview, I wondered I thought, hmm, I think the first nine minutes of this movie is in Thai and subtitled. What will that mean in terms of test numbers at a preview? You know, not in New York or L.A. or San Francisco. 
it was the highest testing movie I've ever had. And the, in the focus group, the, the subtitles never came up. They never showed up in the cards. They just loved the authenticity. The authenticity did. That registered. So thanks to streamers and Squid Game and Narcos uh, and Call My Agent and things like that, it, you know, people are even in, you know, are, are learning to read subtitles and appreciate that kind of, it's not just reading the subtitles, it's also understanding that the nuances in the performance you're seeing are more pure. You know, it's better art. You're, you're feeling it more as an audience member if you're receptive, and they are. It's exciting. What is your favorite scene in the movie? Wow. My favorite scene in the movie. It's probably when the divers see the boys, which, which by the way, was the first, the first scene we had to shoot um, due to logistical problems. But, you know, it, it, a few things happened in that scene. One, the boys were fantastic in that scene, and I hadn't really seen them act. I'd seen them rehearse, but we had nothing with the cameras rolling. And they're not actors. They're, uh, only one of them had done a little bit of acting, um, the, the little guy, Chai. And um, the others were, from, were not only not actors, they were from northern Thailand. They were from the region. Because I found out that there's a very specific dialect in that region that, for example, somebody in, in Bangkok might not even be able to fully understand a northerner. It was described to me as, as um, the, the English equivalent would be sort of, um, you know, the English you and I speak compared to a really strong Scottish brogue. Different language, different expressions, and, and, a, and a strong uh, accent. And, uh, and I was asked if I wanted to pursue it, and I said, absolutely. They said, well, we don't even always pursue that in Thai cinema. Um, I said, I think for this story, you know, that they're from the north. That's, that's, a, that's a factor in all this. It's a difficult place to grow up. There are these political problems. Some of them don't have their papers, et cetera. I think it's important to get that right. I think uh, Thai audiences and, and others will appreciate it, and I think it'll have some, there's an X factor there. So we pursued that. So these kids had never acted. But I, and I also knew, knew we needed kids from the North because I knew there'd be a lot of improvisation, and I wanted the dialect to just be there in a spontaneous way. So a few things happened. We, first of all, it's just a great scene. I mean, it, it, and much of it's seen, you, you've seen some of it in, in, some, of the, uh, in some of the news coverage. That, that video... Th that GoPro shot that John Valanthan, the Colin character, made, you know, is, is made it, you know, went viral. But the first shot was that there's a shot from behind of the boys' feet kind of coming in the foreground and the divers are back there. And that was the first shot we did where we, we could take the back of the cave out and put a camera on an arm and then two two other cameras. Well, one was the B camera operator over here handheld and then the other one was the third camera standing by and Sayampu Mukdiprom, cinematographer, who's Thai, who was the second person that I hired on the film after Bill Connor, um, the, our AD and also producer who you've worked with. The Sayampu, when he agreed to make the movie, that meant so much to me. He's an internationally acclaimed cinematographer, but he's Thai. And I said, I, I'm going to need to get this right. And he said, I will be your angel. And, and he worked very hard on that. Um, but I also, I also found uh, through Imagine, uh, the woman who runs our international co-production, um, Janice Chua from Singapore, she found a, uh, this guy named uh, Raymond and, and um, 
Raymond Patranava Rangoon is his name. And uh, he's a writer-producer and has produced a lot of really interesting films. So I knew we needed to do a good translation. Remember how much we struggled on the French translation of Da Vinci Code? I learned a real lesson. An academic translation is not the same as dialogue, you know. Remember Audrey Tattoo? Tattoo? This is uh, this is not a scene now. This is a translation. This is uh, this is this is not. I think what she not, said. Is, I can't is, act this. It is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so we did a lot of catching up real fast to get it to the point. So I've learned those kinds of lessons. Well, Raymond came in early. He he brought in uh, a, another guy named uh, uh, Billy uh, and uh, Billy Rue, and he, he was also an, a director. So they'd begun working with these boys for two weeks. So I didn't quite know what it would yield, even though I'd gone through a lot of rehearsals. It seemed like they were coming along pretty well. But in this moment, we had this shot. Uh, you know, Colin and Vigo, their first, their first angle where they were going to be underwater and come through a cave and then come up and surface. A camera operator over here. And then I, and then I had a standby camera and I said to Sayampu, well, do you want to operate? You operate in a lot of your movies. You know, you know, I'm, I've asked you if you would operate. And he said, oh, I, no, he says, I'm a, I'm not a good operator. He says, I, I operate because those movies are cheap and I have to, uh, <laughs> let's get somebody good. And I said, well, we already have the B camera, but can't, maybe you could just do something. And, uh, he said, okay, okay, I'll try, I'll try. And so first of all, the first take was great. Vigo and Colin emerged. The scene went much deeper into the scene than I thought it would. Vigo and Colin were blown away by these boys because they immediately said, we don't have to act against these kids. They're, they're, I feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm in the cave with these boys. And uh, so I sort of jumped in and got their coverage as quickly as possible. But meanwhile, there was this first shot. It worked. The boys were great. And Sayampu did this shot that's in the movie where it's kind of like on the divers and then it rakes around onto the coach's face and racks focus and then drifts back around to the divers. And it was a beautiful thing. And it was note to self, get the camera in Sayampu's hand at all times. <laughs> and and uh, so that plus the, you know, the boys improvised, Colin improvised with them. Um, Vigo found a couple of moments that were just unexpectedly powerful. His, the way he played Rick Stanton's sort of inability to make eye contact with these boys and to acknowledge anything other than, than, oh, fuck, I don't think they're ever going to make it. And now I've witnessed it, you know, uh, which is a real Rick Stanton reaction that Vigo understood. The boys and like in the moment when he's, the boys saying Prem, saying we dig, we dig, and, and Vigo played that moment with him. I just came in, came away feeling like this is the movie that I want to make. I want I want this quality to to carry through, you know, sort of every scene, every pore of this movie if we possibly can. So it it felt great. One other thing that I have to mention that really meant a lot. So we've talked a lot about the water, but the base camp it was wild and in, and involved and and if you start looking at at the dock footage it's so specific it's not just people wandering around it's it's chaotic but it's highly controlled chaos and people were there they weren't hanging out they were they were do, they were doing things so bill connor and i spent a lot of time analyzing this and talking about what what behaviors could go with what scene and he cooked up this idea of developing what he called vignettes. And along with the assistant director, Woodrow, 
and and Bill, we started breaking these moments down. Align, we had hours of meetings, aligning them with scenes, and he he got the extras in and started training them ahead of time. So there was very little winging it on the day. I, I saw these things rehearsed. Our Thai consultants saw these things rehearsed. They commented, you know, and I was able to not just use it in the deep background. I was able to pull a lot of these activities right up into the foreground. And I thought it made a, a world, you know, a, a world of difference. And again, Rick Stanton and Jason Mallinson, just as they had when they actually went through Molly Hughes's caves and said, I felt like I was there. And, and these are not guys who bullshit, um, the straight shooters, just as you saw in the movie, the, uh, and, and, the, and, and the same thing with the base camp. They said, you've, you've, you've really got it. And Sayampu just felt it was so, uh, authentic. Although there was one moment we were shooting over uh, the, the, the guy was making coffee in the little coffee stand. It's a scene where Joel Edgerton is going to come up and say, oh, my dad is having heart problems. And Vigo's, you know, offering him a coffee. And then Joel's in a moment will say, look, maybe we'll try this anesthesia. And uh, the guy was making coffee and, and it was a, it was, a, it was a Thai, um, you know, actor, uh, a featured extra. But uh, he actually wasn't from Thailand. So there are, you know, a lot of, a lot of Thais and this was mostly shot in Queensland, Australia. But, but you know, most of them had, had never had grown up there. They'd visited like everybody else. But making the coffee and Sayampu is actually operating that camera, look behind the coffee and he's making it. And, and as soon as it's over, Sayampu is going... And I said, oh, did the cloud come in? Did we lose the light? Something happened? He said, no, no, not how we make coffee. No. <laughs> and he, so he had the green light to take 10 minutes and teach this guy how to make the coffee the Thai way. And, uh, and that was okay because that was the kind of thing we were, we were, uh, we were built to do. I, I'm being signaled in the back. So let me ask you, Ron, um, obviously you make a movie so people can take everything away that you have served up for them. But if folks could take one thing, away from this movie what would you want it to be i uh i think it would be that in an in an in an era when 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 people in all walks of life um i'm sort of borrowing this observation from vigo now we even celebrate people who are self-serving who make decisions to win their game and this story these people had really everything to lose um, by making the decisions they made because it, it was so unlikely to succeed and they knew it. And I find that incredibly uh, inspiring and I hope that in some kind of granular way through the performances that, that, it, that, that we understand that sort of the upside of taking those kinds of risks and actually think putting others um, in, in, uh, making others more important than, than, than you and your, your personal objectives. Well, on behalf of the audience, thank you again. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another DGA Q and A. The director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts and please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. And you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.